Good morning, First Pres. Hope each of you are doing well wherever it is that the Lord has you. Uh, we hope that you had a good, restful Thanksgiving break. Uh, this morning in our midweek meditation, I've got James here with me again, and we're going to have a devotional conversation of sorts about something that we've been reading through the past couple of days um, in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm assuming that these chapters, chapters 5 through 7, are fairly familiar uh, to you, if you've spent any time in church, really, uh, this is a very well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, a lot of our favorite memory verses and others come from there. And so we just wanted to spend a little bit of time this morning uh, just talking about how we should approach the Sermon on the Mount, how we should read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, talk about some of the big takeaways, the big themes that we see, and then towards the end of our time, just dive into one of the specific passages there and try to just to look real uh, devotionally at it. And so I guess as we start here, James, this morning, one of the things we need to say is that um, this is one of the few places in the Bible where we get an extended sermon of sorts mm -hmm. uh, from Jesus. I mean, it's rightly called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus, for for three chapters, uh, just speaks uh, to the people that are gathered around him. And we certainly are not the first to come up with this, but uh, down through the ages, people who have read and studied this have described the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus's kingdom manifesto. And what I mean by that is that from beginning to end, Jesus is describing in these chapters uh, how it looks when the kingdom of God takes root in us and the kind of people that the kingdom of God transforms us into and ultimately what, what the kingdom looks like and feels like and tastes like when it takes root um, in the world. And so uh, this is Jesus' kingdom manifesto in a sense. He is describing the kinds of people that we become when we bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and we allow his transforming work in our lives by his word and by his spirit. And so um, one of the other things that I, I think we, we see here as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount is just how how countercultural uh, the kingdom of God really is. I mean, even if we just looked at the first few verses of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, we have those famous sayings, the Beatitudes, where Jesus over and over again just says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. He's describing the good life. He's describing what it looks like when humanity is, is flourishing in a sense. And I'm betting that if we went and we just walked the streets and surveyed a handful of random people and said, describe to us the good life, I doubt that we would hear people talking about recognizing our own poverty. I doubt that we would hear people talking about we're blessed when we we mourn. I, I don't think we'd hear people talking about being blessed when we're meek and being merciful and being pure and seeking peace and suffering perse persecution, I, I think we would actually hear quite the opposite of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of the things that we see here is Jesus describing a counter-cultural kingdom, that what the world tells us the good life is, the kind of people that we should become, the things that we should be giving our lives to. Uh, Jesus says the kingdom of God of which we're a part that's bearing fruit and growing within us is actually quite the opposite. Yes, I think you're exactly right. 
just reading this through, I felt so many times that Christ was flipping upside down the things that I wanted for my life or things that I wanted to be right and wrong. And Jesus has that way of coming and flipping upside down this world so that we would live in his kingdom. The other thing I started to notice as I was reading through this time is not only is there that upside down countercultural piece, but there's also this wide reaching transformative piece in the Sermon of the Mount. You can see it in some of those famous verses we love that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Often I'm thinking that Jesus is the light of the world, but here he's saying that believers are the light of the world. And so the ways that Christ is living out through us in the way that we are obeying him, we are transforming and shining light into the world. I noticed even as we moved into that, as Christ moves into this anger piece where he says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I mean, that's going deeper into my heart than mm. I really want Jesus to go. I want to say, sure, my external actions are what Jesus can judge me on, but my heart is my own, and that's not the case. Mm. He sees what is going on where no one else sees it but myself, sometimes seeing it better than I see my own heart. And at the same time, after he says that we must be transformed, he also says this piece where he says that if you are on your way basically to worship, if you're going to church and you remember that you've done something against someone else and they've got some offense against you, he says to turn your car around and to go make up with that person to make sure that you're okay. Mm. That it's not only that we need to care about our own hearts and the anger in ourselves, but if we have done something that someone else is rightly offended by, we are actually in some way responsible for the anger that we are causing Mm. them. So our own actions and the way we affect other people, we are to go and to be thoughtful of our neighbor, to love them well, Mm. And so we have this communal transformative piece where we have to be seeking everyone's righteousness as well as our own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is interesting, you know, that that idea where Jesus, he he takes the external actions and he pushes down further to uh, the heart and the motives and the attitudes that ultimately lead to those actions. And he Mm -hmm. says that's actually where where the problem lies. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that uh, the gospel life, the kingdom life, if we want to say it that way, is is an inside-out life. Jesus recognizes that we shouldn't murder. I mean, that's that's the Ten (laughs) Commandments. We we should not commit adultery. But, But Jesus knows, because he's the creator of the human heart, that ultimately, as he says in other places, our outer actions are the overflow yeah. of the attitudes and the mm-hmm. dispositions of our hearts. And so he he begins to expose not just what we do externally, but the act, the attitudes, uh, the dispositions of our heart that lead us to do those kinds of things. I think that's one of the reasons is you've you've noticed that he doesn't just say, "Okay, don't murder. You're doing well." He he addresses anger in our hearts mm-hmm. because it's anger in our hearts that ultimately leads us to murder somebody physically. So he talks about that as the root cause. Right. And I think it's wise of you to even recognize that he he doesn't just cause us to care for our own hearts. 
He causes us to take our own sin and our own attitudes so seriously that when when we cause offense in other people, we ought to go and be reconciled so that they don't fall into judgment because of of our own actions. It is yeah. this vertical piece, but it's got this horizontal relational piece uh, as well within the body of Christ that I think it is this is another one of those. Uh, aspects that's so countercultural. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the world, if you were to tell somebody, well, it's your fault that somebody else committed this sin, this crime, the world would be like, you're crazy. I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, but the kingdom of God teaches us that when our actions lead others into sin, yeah, they're, they're liable. They don't get to claim that they're uh, not responsible, but but we share responsibility as well. Our actions have consequences, which is why Jesus is trying to transform us from the inside out so that our effect in the world is, as you've said, to be salt and to be light rather than to be stumbling blocks for people uh, to trip over. Yeah, God's law is, it dives deep into our hearts and it is wide reaching in the community and in the world. Mm. Um, well, I just want to hear before we turn and press the record button, before we turn this on, you were just telling me that the end of the Sermon on the Mount has been really good for you, very devotional, and you've been meditating on it here at the end of chapter seven, where he begins to talk about building your house on the rock. Mm. I'm, I'm curious to know more about how that has been good devotionally for you, how that has affected your own heart as you've been seeking to live your life as a member of Jesus's kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I think one of the things that's uh, been been devotional for me is, you know, Jesus has just preached this long sermon. And his conclusion, the way he wraps it all up, is to, in a sense, say that the kind of people that we'll become and the quality of our lives in this world are ultimately dependent upon what we do with what he has said. Mm. And so Jesus has been speaking to this crowd. And at the end, he says to them, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise man. And contrastly, everybody who hears these words and ultimately ignores them will be a fool. Mm-hmm. And so even just the quality of our own lives, whether we're wise or whether we're foolish, is based on what we do with what Jesus has said to us, what we do with Jesus. And so I think it's just important to remind ourselves in the midst of a world that is seeking to cast off Jesus and cast off his word and live without restraint, Jesus is saying that's fine, but that's ultimately a foolish life that's like building your life on the sand. Mm. And an, another piece that's been devotional for me in this is that what's interesting is Jesus says the same um, uh, effects of weather, in a sense, the same life circumstances will come to you no matter where you land on the spectrum. And so the person that built his house on the rock, the winds came, the rain beat down. Uh, the person that built their life on the sand, the winds came, mm-hmm. the rain beat down. Following Jesus doesn't exempt us or protect us from life coming and hitting us. And that's his point, mm-hmm. is that life will still come after us. There will be suffering. There will be hardship in this life. 
But the only way that our house will stand is if our lives are built upon the solid rock of Jesus, who is the word, and upon Jesus' words themselves. And so for me, it's just been a a good reminder and a good challenge to me that if I'm going to live well in this world, then I've got to build my life upon Jesus and upon his word. At the most basic level, that means that I need to be one who is pursuing God in his word regularly. Mm-hmm. And not just reading it for reading its sake, but but thinking and meditating on and applying this word to my life. Then Jesus says, I'll be built upon uh, the rock. And so it's, it's just a good reminder for us. One of the prayers I've been praying for myself and for my family uh, and for us as a congregation is that God would give us a hunger for his word and that God would give us the discipline to actually pursue him in his word. Uh, I'll close just with a, a promise that I keep coming back to in Isaiah chapter 55. Um, Isaiah gives this beautiful picture where he talks about how uh, the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and it waters the earth Mm. and it causes the earth to sprout and to grow, resulting in seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And we recognize that agriculturally Mm -hmm. (laughs) where water is abundant, crops grow and life happens. He immediately in verse 11 of chapter 55 says, and so shall your word be that goes out from your mouth. Uh, it won't return to me void. It will accomplish all of the things for which I sent it. And so God's word is like the rain and the snow that falls down and waters the earth and results in abundant crops. Mm. And that's a promise that God says his word will not return void. And so I've been praying for myself and for us that we would have a hunger for God's word and that God would fulfill his promise as we draw near to transform us by it and to root us in Jesus Christ so that ultimately we we experience the blessing of the good life of being rooted in Christ and of being rooted in his word. Yeah, that's a great promise. Yeah, it really is. It really is. With that being said, I hope that all of you have uh, a great rest of this week. And we pray just that, that God would fulfill his promise uh, as we draw near in his word uh, to behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be transformed uh, more and more into his image. We love you guys. We look forward to being together next week.